you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to welcome Sarah Moore to the show today. Sarah is a partner and director of brand strategy at Mission Minded, a brand strategy firm that works exclusively with nonprofits and foundations. Starting her career in advertising, Sarah fell in love with nonprofits while serving pro bono clients as management director of DDB Worldwide. She now focuses exclusively on nonprofit brand strategy, which allows organizations to better tell their own unique story. A serial nonprofit board member, she currently serves as immediate past president of the board of Mentis, Napa County's Center for Mental Health Services. I wanted to have Sarah on for a couple of reasons. First, I'm interested as always in people's career journeys, and Sarah's going to share with us her own experience with pivoting. And second, I've had listeners ask about how to bring philanthropy or giving back and volunteering into one's life to make it more fulfilling and to find purpose outside of one's professional life. So I'm looking forward to hearing what Sarah has to share there as well. And then finally, Sarah has insights on how to make our life plus work more sustainable, given that Mission Minded has been a company for the last 20 years that has operated with a remote structure. So we have a lot to cover. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad we could arrange it. So I'd love to have you start. I said at the beginning um, that I love hearing people's career stories. So I'd love to start there and have you just perhaps share a high-level overview of your own journey that brought you to your current work and maybe start by sharing with us what led you to your path in marketing before your shift to nonprofit work and your work at Mission Minded. Yeah, thanks. Um, Well, it was long ago, but I'll see how much I can remember. Uh, I had a wonderful career counselor at undergrad who um, was helping me with two passion areas and one was social work and one was advertising. I happened to have grown up in a family with an advertising account executive dad. So I had a pretty good understanding of what that was about. And at the time, this career counselor said to me, you know, you can always go into advertising and then change your mind and decide that you want to go into social work. But if you go into social work, it might be harder four or five years down the road to get into advertising. So that seemed to make as much sense as one could as a senior in undergrad. And so with that, I headed off to New York and began my career there. And I've worked pretty much in global ad agencies for about the first 15, 20 years of my life. And then there was uh, just this moment where it was time to make a shift. So... 
That's really interesting to me, Sarah, that you had somebody that counseled you in that way, in the sense that, you know, you really knew that you had these dual kind of already very early on these sides of yourself that were pulling you both towards uh, this part of you that was more nonprofit oriented or social work oriented and pulling you towards uh, a for-profit side as well. So that's interesting that she had that counsel for you at that time. Yeah, it's funny. I I don't think I remembered until I looked back later and thought, oh yeah, the roots of it were actually always there. And I just I wasn't listening to that particular side of the clarion call for the you know first 15 and 20 years or so. Yeah, yeah. And so you said you started to notice that perhaps there was a time for a shift that was going to happen. And I'm curious, what made you at that point make the move to nonprofit work? Like what were those signals that were making you feel like a change was afoot? Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, there were two things and they one was personal and one was professional. And the personal piece was um, I lost both my parents in my 30s. And I remember writing my dad's obituary and realizing that what the line about what he did and what his title was, was such a small part of the story of him. And it made me think about sort of the the career ladder and sort of our sense of we go from here to here to here to here, which he had spent his long life doing and had a very successful career doing it. But what it boiled down to was a couple of sentences in the story of someone's life. And that was just an insight that I didn't really know what to do with, but I tucked it away. And I would say about four years later, um, the professional thing that started happening was In my role at DDB, when we had uh, nonprofits that would come and work with us and we would work with them on a pro bono basis. So for folks who don't know, that means that we worked for them for free and we did it because it felt great to everybody and we were able to do work that, that they might not be able to afford to do otherwise. And it was my job to assign that throughout the agency, who's going to work on that particular new pro bono project. What I found was every time one of those came into the agency, I didn't want to give it away. I wanted to work on it. And it was not sustainable for my colleagues who also wanted to work on those things. But there was something really interesting about the fact that every time that happened, I thought, oh, I wish I could work on that. I wish I could work on that. I wish I could work on that. So I started to see a pattern there. And that was really sort of the second moment that made me think, you know what, maybe I'm being called in a different direction. Mm. What was it about those opportunities that really called to you? What was it? Was it going back to the fact that you had that interest in social work and were you making that connection? Or what was it about those projects that really called your attention? Yeah, I think it was the ability to understand two things. One was the fact that, um, you could see what was happening as a result of that work. You could see donations would rise or you could see volunteers would engage or you could see people uh, understood the work in a different way. And that was different than what I was doing at the time, um, which was marketing and advertising around um, particular sets of products. And so just being able to see the impact there, I think was the first part of it. And then the second part of it was just um, the reality that there were people that you could engage with who really didn't do this for a living. So what you brought to the table was really, really valuable. You know, you and I both know because of a little bit of a shared past that when you work with really smart clients in the private sector, they often could probably do your job. They just sit on one side of the table and you sit on the other. But when my work with nonprofits, I was finding that really 
they had incredible expertise that I could never had. And I brought some expertise to them that they didn't have. Mm -hmm. So you really saw that, that really the value exchange there or, or what like the impact you could have was almost greater because you were being, bringing something to the table that really didn't exist within that organization. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a reciprocity there too. It wasn't in the savior sense of like, I'm coming down from on high and doing this for this nice little nonprofit. It was really like, wow, how amazing that you do the work you do and how amazing that I get to do the work that I do in a way that's going to help you do your work better. Mm, Yeah. So what then, so you actually then made the shift from actually working in the for-profit and moving to work more permanently within a nonprofit sphere. What gave you like the confidence to kind of step out and take that next step and move in that direction? Yeah. You know, it's funny, people say to me, like, what made you comfortable enough to do it? And the answer was, I was never comfortable enough to do it. (laughs) And I think that's a really important lesson that, you know, all of us have to think about anything that is worth doing is often worth taking a leap. You know, think about the major milestone decisions you make in your life. There's always a little bit of what the heck am I doing? Uh, So I never did actually feel really comfortable. And that was really great in and of itself, because I had been on a pretty straight corporate ladder path for a long time. And I, you know, I felt pretty comfortable where I was and feeling uncomfortable was almost as valuable as the work itself. Um, I also had, it was what I called the year of a hundred cups of coffee, where I just sat down with anyone who was remotely related to the nonprofit sector and learned all about it. I knew enough to know that I wanted to go work with nonprofits, but I also knew enough to know that I didn't really know what that meant. And so really year one was a lot of research. Yeah, what I love about what you're sharing too, it often comes up on the podcast and other people sharing their experiences that it takes courage to step out and to step off a path that one has been on. And you really need to call yourself forward in that regard. And then what I appreciate what you're saying as well is that it really takes some work. And other people I've talked to about this is like, there is work to do in some regard. And I appreciate that you went and you did your homework to kind of figure out what was going to be the best fit for you in that. And yet you still were uncomfortable. And I'm curious, you just said there was a lot of benefit to not just moving towards that work, but to also lean into that being uncomfortable. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like what was so beneficial to leaning into that discomfort? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is it helps you get a little bit over imposter syndrome. Like you're doing this and you're like, I'm helping clients think strategically about their nonprofit brand. I know I don't know enough yet about nonprofits, but I know a lot about brand strategy And how can I sort of learn as I go and just get better at understanding the nuances of a sector that was really very different than what I had been working in? So just recognizing that I had to lean into that discomfort sort of fueled a couple of things that just helped me move forward as I continue to just go on the journey. I so appreciate that because... Imposter syndrome comes up so often and it's more way more prevalent than I think all of us realize. And it also intensifies, is my understanding, as we get more senior. And so I just think it's so interesting that you actually say, like, if you actually lean in more to the discomfort and you realize you can get through it, it can actually 
almost give you that confidence to get over the imposter syndrome, which is really an interesting insight. Yeah. I was also fortunate in that I was I was not pivoting to a completely different skill set. I was pivoting with the skill set I had into a different arena. And so I think that helped give some level of confidence that, you know, in the day-to-day work, I actually knew what I was doing. It was just in the context of a different a different space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, and I wonder too, because you said that, you know, you were really being drawn to this work, but I know you shared that, you know, you or, or maybe may I should clarify, like, had your goals shifted for you too, in terms of like what you were looking for from your work was, had something else shifted in you that made you kind of say, okay, now's the time to go ahead and make this change at this stage that I'm in. You know, I'm not sure that there was any, there was a goal shift when I decided to change certainly, but I'm not sure there was a moment that said, this is the moment to make that shift. Um, you know, I was, um, I was really thinking that I was going to have my boss's job someday and that I was just going to keep going and, you know, grow into every boss's job. And I think just as I looked up the ladder, it just looked less attractive to me. And that was probably also, you know, just tucking away experiences, like noticing that I was taking all the pro bono businesses or writing my dad's obit or whatever. There were just these little threads and breadcrumbs that kept showing up. And, you know, going back to what you said about discomfort, there was no moment. You just have to say, okay, I'm setting the date and here it is. And, you know, I was fortunate to be incredibly well supported by the place I was leaving in addition to sort of the unknown to which I was going. And I think that also really helped the transition as well. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of, it. that's helpful to hear too, that you had such support in where you were in making the shift to where you wanted to go as well. So that's great. But that's a testament to who you were as well, I'm sure within that organization and what your success was there and, and what you had contributed. So, yeah. Well, you know what, it's nice of you to say, but I have to say that, um, that was really, you know, my sort of shining star mentor boss at the time. So I really, the credit has to go back to her. And fortunately for me, I get to carry forward some of that learning from how to be a great boss from her. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm curious too, you know, for you, some other people listening, you know, might be actually thinking like, hey, I've been in this for-profit world. I want to go towards nonprofit and yet they're a little unsure. So one thing they could do is they could um, actually go and do a lot of the homework that you did. And the other thing that they could do is, um, you know, hear a little bit about from you even now, it's just like in this, maybe this is the first step in the research, which is, you know, what did you appreciate about the nonprofit work that you know, you think others or, or what is it about you, Sarah, and what you appreciate about the work that somebody who might be listening and kind of seeing, huh, is this a good fit for me? What should they be looking for or thinking about if, if this, if working in nonprofit is a good fit for them? Yeah. Um, you know, the research piece I think is really big because as I said, it's a huge, huge sector, you know, nonprofits encompass everything from higher education to you know your local food bank and everything in between and so really getting clear about what what part of that moves you you know more than others um you know for me i learned a lot i did a lot of consulting in the first 5 years where i worked with every single kind of nonprofit and it helped me hone in the ones that i feel really really excited about and the ones that i am like glad they're there but they don't necessarily fire me up that way um so i think that's sort of the first part of it 
The second part of it is the opportunity to just immerse yourself in that world in whatever volunteer capacity that might be. And what I always say to people is try to volunteer not at your kid's school because that's not really a peek into the nonprofit world, you know, and you have a benefit in that. So if you really think that there's something that is of passion to you, try and go find some time to volunteer someplace where you have no skin in the game other than you feel particularly connected to that particular issue area. Um, and I think people learn a lot from that. I certainly, I would say concurrent with the um, decisions I was making about leaving DDB, um, I had been serving on a couple of boards at that time. So I was also looking from sort of the top down view of how nonprofits were run. That was incredibly helpful to me. And I think that continues to make me better at my job because I'm able to look at the sector and or my client or whatever from a couple of different vantage points. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what I'm hearing in that is that you are, um, you really did your homework on a couple of different levels, not just speaking with people, but really getting into action and actually participating with these not different nonprofits. You certainly were already working with some through your work with DDB, but you're also saying that you were able to um, actually like, uh, you know, like you were serving on boards, you were getting other exposure. And I think this is one thing that people really need to think about when they're thinking about making a change, which is you don't learn by just thinking about it. You actually have to get into action. And as you're saying, start to experience it. So your encouragement for people to get out there really makes sense. Yeah. And and it's funny because as I think back on it too, in the year of a hundred cups of coffee, I actually had two job offers with two specific nonprofits and I turned them down because I knew that going from one experience to one very small lens of the nonprofit world was probably not the great next step for me. You know, that could be a next step next to hundred years from now, whatever, but to go from trying to do a survey course of the whole nonprofit sector and then landing in one particular place felt to me a little too limiting. So even getting in there to do the homework, to just get your own survey course going in whatever way or shape or form that takes for you, I think is great. Well, I know you've been doing this kind of work for a bit now, Sarah, but if I take you back to, and really now that you you have been actually, but even the time when you first made the change to now being on the other side of it, I'm curious if there was anything that surprised you most in making this shift or if there's any other lessons that you might share with people listening in terms of making a general pivot or making a pivot to the nonprofit sector? Yeah. Well, there, you know, it's interesting because we talked about having some level of confidence in what you're doing, even and being courageous. I think the the other thing I've learned is the degree of humility that you also have to bring to it. Because when you pivot, there are by the its very nature things that you're not going to know. And for those of us who pivoted, you know, mid-late stage career, you're used to feeling like I know all this stuff and I've been validated for knowing all this stuff. And suddenly you're in a place. You're not the smartest person in the room. And, you know, again, that's a good thing at the end of the day, but you you have to be comfortable living in that humility. I'm, I'm fortunate in that I work with a wonderful group of people who I learn from every day, no matter what their title is, no matter how long they've been at Mission Minded. So I'm fortunate in that sense that we're sort of in that always learning mode. And that's a value of our company to have that kind of growth mindset. 
but it is a little bit humbling when it first happens. And so you just need to know that that's going to be there and it's going to be okay. It's kind of one of the reasons you're doing it is because you're trying to move to a place that feels inspiring and engaging. It's the reason you've made the pivot in the first place. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. And that's come up on the podcast before, just this really need to embrace a growth mindset and recognizing as adults that our learning is not over, that there's, and especially if you make a pivot, the reality is you're entering something new and there's going to be a growth curve there. So really embracing that. And I appreciate you, you mentioning the humility and bringing that forward, um, I'm curious too, in terms of now you shared, cause it's interesting, this, this career counselor told you like, Hey, you can do advertising or you can do social work. And in the end, you chose to do advertising first. And I think I'm curious how you view that first career and whether or not you feel like that was the right choice or not when you look back. And I, I ask this just because sometimes people really have angst around where they start and they think they might've gotten things wrong. And I just like to normalize that it's part of the journey. So that's, that's my own belief, but what are your thoughts on this and how do you kind of view your own path at this point? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Kathy. I think that Everything we do teaches us a little bit more about what we want to do next. And um, I love looking back at what I did and what I learned. Even, you know, I, I have, I've had some bad jobs in my life and I learned from those bad jobs the same way I've learned from the great jobs. Just the mentor I was talking about before who's awesome. I also had a horrible boss once and I learned a lot from her. And I think it's true with careers as well. I think everything we do teaches us just a little bit more about what we want to do next or what we get excited by or what fires us up. And so I don't think there are any bad jobs. I don't think there are any bad career choices because it's it's the journey. You know, I mean, the destination is that two you know lines of copy in my dad's obit, right? That's the destination. So you may as well enjoy the journey and relax into the journey. Uh, I love that. I love that. Very wisely said. Um, and I, I'm curious too around this, like based on both your own experience and what some might say, like, I don't know if you would see it this way, Sarah, but like, did your work previously have less purpose and now this work has more purpose? I don't know. But I'm curious through the lens of your own experiences, if you have per perspective on how people should think about purpose in their work and, and kind of life's work, because it's such a topic these days, right? We put so much pressure on our jobs. We ask for so much from our jobs. I was just re-listening to a podcast with Adam Grant and Esther Perel, and she was talking about this, how it's just so different today what our expectations are from our work because we're not finding meaning elsewhere in our lives. And so, so many people are looking for purpose from their companies. And I like to advocate, it puts a lot of pressure on companies. And I kind of want to tell people like, look to yourself first, like find the purpose within you because that you can control. Um, and, and certainly if you can find that values alignment, absolutely go for that. But I'm kind of curious how you think about bringing purpose into one's work. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm fortunate that the clients with whom I'm working now help make it easy for me to access the purpose. You know, I am working with some incredible humans doing some incredible work. So that part of it is easy. Um, 
But, you know, I also define purpose in, um, you, you and I were talking a little bit before we started about um, nurturing and uh, championing talent. And that's the other place I find purpose in my work. So, you know, I could be doing that still in the agency world, or I could be doing it working exclusively with nonprofits. And so I think about what fires us up, you know, what we want our legacy to be. Um, I really, as I, you know, I'll go back to that mentor I was talking about before. I really want people to feel championed in their work. That was something that was such a gift to me in the early part of my career, that if I can help foster that in others going forward, that is also purpose for me. So, you know, it's part of like sort of that long train of research. The more we go back and look at what were the moments that were important to us, I think it also helps us define what are the moments that we want to continue on fostering. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And in so many ways, just both saying like you can find purpose at different levels and in different ways within your roles. And then also part of what I take away from what you're sharing, Sarah, and what I often advocate here on the podcast is this idea of paying attention and really pausing to look back because what you're saying too is like pay attention to those threads that you're noticing and those experiences that you really appreciated and where you appreciated contributing and lean into that. So I think that's one way to kind of help guide people kind of going forward as well. Yeah, and I would add to that too, that sometimes we think of it in a very linear sense of what titles are or what responsibilities are. You know, we look at our job description and what are our responsibilities and everything you and I have talked about today has nothing to do with any of that, right? It's those little, how did I feel in that moment? How did I feel when that happened? You know, where did I feel like I was contributing and adding value those have nothing to do with what my title was, what my salary was, what my job description was. Those were moments of internal validation that really gave me some direction. Yeah, yeah. That's, again, it's for me, what's really important in that is one of the things that I am starting to champion is this idea of like, you first need to attune to you. You know, oftentimes part of what you're describing is like people, we look externally to kind of shape things for ourselves. And what you're saying, it's like, it's not in the roles and responsibilities. It may also not even be in the company's mission statement. It really, what's going to light you up and really get you excited about your work and what's where you find that meaning. And so I appreciate that that's what you're saying. It's kind of tune into your own feelings that, you know, are exciting you about your work uh, in order to find that purpose. Yeah, it's interesting because I think we talk so often, particularly about um, when when people are raising kids, we talk about moral compass, you know, and in many ways, I think we actually have a career compass that is ours and we just need to make sure we're looking at it every once in a while. Yes, yes, I love that, yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about career and yet some people, you know, they, they do want to find some purpose or meaning either in their work and their life. And I'm curious, it, you know, some people have asked me again, like, okay, if I'm not going to like shift my work, to, you know, I'm going to stay in the for-profit sector, but I really have some interest in participating with nonprofits or, and I know I keep using the term nonprofits. There's also, like you said, it's a vast universe. <laughs> and I know philanthropy is different than nonprofits. You can also volunteer. And, and you said like, you can start to just 
start with something that catches your attention, but are there other things that you might, any tips for people that you might offer in terms of, okay, if you're not looking for this to kind of test the waters, if it's right for your career, but you know, you want to add something into your life activities to kind of bring this element of purpose by giving back in some way. Do you have any thoughts on where people should start or how they should consider approaching this? Yeah, well, there's a million ways, as you just said. I mean, we'll we'll touch on a couple. You know, the volunteer piece, I think, is big because there's a very um, glamorized view of the nonprofit world. And some of it is glamorous in your heart, but some of it is not so glamorous in the work. And so I think it's important to just get in there and see what that feels like in whatever way, shape or form. And, you know, what's interesting is whether you're doing it on a um, infrequent basis where you're helping out someplace and you're literally, you know, packing up food or you're sitting on a board. Both ways you start to learn about the sector and you're giving back to your community in some way, shape, or form. Um, So I'd say volunteer is always a great place to start. And goodness knows there's many opportunities to do that these days. Um, Secondly, you know, when people think about philanthropy, you know, one of the things I'm thrilled about is that philanthropy has gotten a lot more visibly strategic I think it has often been strategic, but it really wasn't until some of our major tech players started coming in to build awareness of what is strategic philanthropy over the the long haul that people started kind of paying more attention. And I would say it's, you know, great foundations doing great work have existed long before the tech sector came to pass, but it has certainly just built more awareness. And I think building awareness of what is good philanthropy, what is worth investing in, how do I choose to spend my dollars? Um, I'm a huge fan of community foundations. Community foundations are um, pooled resources of different communities that look at the issues across the community. And it's their job to help philanthropists distribute their dollars in a way that resonates both with the donor and with the needs of the community. They are great resources for learning about philanthropy. Um, So I think that's one way. And if you don't have that and you don't want to do that, simple things like reading the impact report that a nonprofit sends you to thank you for your donation at the end of the year and actually reading through it and understanding the work they do and where their money goes. You know, a better understanding of what is the revenue stream for a nonprofit, I think is also just a good place to start. Mm, That's really great. For something like a community foundation, are those just, as it says, in your community? So somebody just in your community, you can search for you know, community foundation and see if your local community happens to have one? Yes. And they're generally often by county. And then, of course, in like major markets, there's a community foundation for, you know, the San Francisco Foundation would exist in San Francisco. The Napa Valley Community Foundation exists in Napa Valley. So it's pretty easy Google search, but it's often a good place to start. That's great. Is there any... um Anything that if somebody wants to join a board, are there just a couple of tips or things that you would say, keep this in mind if you're looking to join a board of a nonprofit? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, there's in, in board parlance, there are working boards and there are governance boards. Working boards are smaller nonprofits where board members might, in fact, you might have trouble discerning a board member from just a plain old volunteer. They do a lot of hands-on work they're really grassroots and they're sort of thinking through things like how do we scale this or how do we make this more sustainable Um, or how do we just survive, you know, in these days. Um, 
governance boards are really sort of for more mature nonprofits where the board work is starting to be at the strategic planning level, thinking more deeply about, for example, you know, strategic planning might be jargon for some of your listeners. So that's basically a business plan for a nonprofit. So you're starting to think about things more on a macro level about sort of what's the long-term sustainability and impact of this organization. So just even looking at those two things and figuring out, is this a working board or is this a governing board? And which appeals to me is probably a good place to start. I'll, I'll add one other thing just because, uh, as you said in the intro, I am a serial board member. And um, I would say uh, that is another place to do some great research, to not just talk to the executive director, but talk to a couple of people on the board. What kind of work are they doing? What kinds of decisions are they making? What, you know, how well do they get along? There's, you know, stories of highly functioning boards and not so highly functioning boards. And you want to make sure that you're on one that feels like it's going to be a valuable experience for you and for the nonprofit as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And again, I've done just a little bit of research in, in this space and did like I had, had the opportunity to take a class on participating on boards. And I will say that it does seem highly valuable to really get some education before you step into that those roles and make sure that you do your homework, as you're saying, Sarah, on more than one level, I think, to just prepare yourself both to make sure it's a good fit for you and you're going to have a good experience, but that you're going to be able to bring the value that you want to contribute as well. So I do know before we wrap up, I wanted to get in because you had shared this um, in our doing some research together and that, you know, Mission Minded has been a virtual company for 20 years. And yet here we are, all of us moving into this space of hybrid or remote work. And I'm curious to explore this a little bit just before we wrap up, which is to see if you have any learnings around what's worked for you all as a remote and virtual organization? And are there any tips for all of us to kind of figure out how to make this all work a little bit better for ourselves as we move into this new world of work? Yeah, because you all had to learn it in about a week and we had a lot longer ramp up on understanding that. Yeah, I'm happy to share that. And I think it's important to start with the why, which is we did that because we wanted to keep overhead low in a way that nonprofits could access really high caliber brand strategy work at an affordable rate to them. So that there was really a reason behind it. And, you know, when we were talking about purpose before, uh, I think that's great because employees walk in understanding the purpose behind remote work. It's not because we got quarantined and sent off to our different far-flung places. It's because we're doing that in service to the nonprofits with whom we work. So um, that's sort of the step one is understanding the why. But I would say for us, it is really, really being dogged about understanding culture and being intentional about culture building, um, which, you know, again, we were fortunate in that we have always done that. And a lot of, um, you know, pretty much everybody else was trying to figure out how to infuse culture into a Zoom world. And um, we had been doing that for quite some time. That leads me to the next piece, which is for us, culture is about values. And our values as a company are really strong, really clear, talked about all the time. Um, you know, we are not one of those companies where someone said, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I know our company values. You know, like you could stop anyone on the street from mission minded. They could rattle them off for you. So having a set of values like that gives us a, a cultural touchstone by which we understand how to behave as an organization, whether we are lucky enough to be sitting together in a conference room 
or whether we are spread across the US. So that's at the company level. I think you asked about the individual level too. Um, I would say that a couple of things is to think about, you know, what are the tricks that get you through a day? You know, and it could be the same whether you're sitting in a high-rise office building or whether you're sitting at your kitchen table. What are the things you know? Bring those rituals with you. Think about those. Think about your workspace. And I know that's sort of a very basic fundamental physical thing, but, you know, not everybody has the luxury of having a separate office or a separate bedroom or whatever, but really do your best to, you know, invest in the things you need to make your workspace feel comfortable for you. Um, and then the last thing I'll share is uh, a ritual that one of my colleagues does that I just love. And I think it's just such a nice metaphor. He um, works from home. He gets up every morning, gets dressed, leaves his house, walks around the block, and then goes to work in his house. And at the end of the day, he gets up from his desk, goes back out the door, goes back around the block in the other direction and comes home. And I love rituals like that because I think having that sense of when does the day end and how do I know the day has ended are very, very important as you maintain a work from home lifestyle. Uh, I love these. These are really important and things, to be honest, that I've been struggling with too, and even having been working remote for some time. And so it is helpful. And I've I've also had some other people share how one of the things that they've done for people is actually we've lost a lot of our rituals and our boundaries when we went you know, when we weren't going into an office and having these routines. And so she often in working with clients adds these back. So I really appreciate that you're kind of saying you need some of these structures, you need see, you need some of these rituals to kind of help yourself and your body kind of know. Um, I also know, Sarah, that you had shared around um just around, it's really easy, especially today, <laughs> that work can encroach all the time. So I'm curious if you also had any tips around how you keep yourself from overworking in this environment of being remote when it's really easy for things to be so flexible and for things to kind of life and work to meld so much. Yeah, I definitely do. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to start by saying one of our values is live fully. And so that is an expected value at Mission Minded that you are living fully in whatever way that is defined for you, which means high, high encouragement to work when you need to work, but also know that you need to unplug. So just from a stated company value, we start there. Um, I'd say the other sort of three things for me personally is I schedule exercise and I do it. I treat it like a meeting and I do it. And I think that's really important because Otherwise, we can find ourselves at our desk for 10 hours and we've never stood up or never done anything like that. So just having those sort of mental breaks, I think cues that you have to break at some point. Uh, the second thing is I take real and long vacations. And by that, I mean, I do not check email. I do not look at my phone. I disable everything. Um, and I think, you know, for those of us who, who can tend to work a little longer, it's really, really important that those vacations are actual, actual, actual vacations. So that's my second thing. And then the last thing I'll say is um, I use tech for good and not for shackles. And so an example of that for me is I don't have Slack on my phone because if I'm away from my desk, then I'm away from my desk, which means I don't really need to see Slack on my phone. It just means I'm off doing something else and I'm not sitting here at my desk. So thinking about the ways you can use technology to both free you, but also not shackle you, I think, with the other pieces. 
Mm, all three very wise things to share with us to help us keep ourselves sustained while we're still being committed and ambitious and finding purpose in our work. So thank you for sharing those. Well, Sarah, we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for being in conversation with me today. If people wanted to stay in touch or learn more about Mission Minded, where can they find you? Yeah, they are welcome to go to mission-minded.com and they can find me there uh, with my email and phone and I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I know I took us a lot across a lot of different territory in talking today, but I think this is going to be really helpful for people. And I really appreciate you taking the time with me. Oh, it's really been my pleasure. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.